the unspokens. You know every situation and all the circumstances. God, it goes on and on and on. And you hear us all. And you answer every one of them. And Lord, we love you and we praise you for that. I ask you to bless this time together. Let us focus on you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If we'd all plant, uh, stand and let's sing the offertory hymn 176. Come thou long expected Jesus.
Well, once again, good morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you will make your way to Genesis chapter 8. Um, I know that over the last few weeks I have been in Genesis, but that's where the Lord has led me. And that's where I'm going to stay until he leads me somewhere else. Um, you know, last week I talked about Noah, how things would have been very different had Noah disobeyed God. And how it was, how we should obey him like Noah. And so today I'm going to talk to you about some more about Noah. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about Noah's altar. You know, uh, and, and we'll get into some specifics here in just a minute. But uh, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how when I read the Bible from the front to the back that every situation that faced the prophets and those listed in the Bible, there was always an opportunity for escaping salvation. Always. The opportunity for escape allied with the individual. Relied, that's where it was at. All you had to do was stop. Stop. Sometimes we get in the momentum of going down and or getting behind and it's just hard to throw the brakes on. Or if we do, it's like, okay, the brakes are on, they're locked up, but it's like we're on ice or, or clay. We're just sliding and sliding and sliding. It's going to take a while for us to stop. And we're trying to maintain control so that we don't run in and crash into something. And so think about this. Um, Noah was in the ark for over a year. And then when it finally got dry enough to where he could come off the ark, one of the first things he did was he built an altar. So turn with me to Genesis 8, verse 20. And, and so uh, the Lord's promise is where this is at, depending on how your Bible is broke down. Today I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible because I feel like, and today this is the, the scripture that speaks the loudest and the plainest for what I, the point that I'm trying to make today. So it says, uh, then Noah, in verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean, bir uh, clean bird and offered a burnt offering on the altar. Let's pray. And Father God, I love you and I thank you for this day. And Lord, I ask you to open your scripture up to us. Lord, I ask you to allow me to decrease. Lord, you increase. Give me the ability to say what needs to be said to the hearts that need to hear it. Lord, I love you. I trust you and I cannot live my life without you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Noah is remembered. Think about this. How do we remember, we remember Noah? Of the ark. Noah built the ark. And so everybody remembers Noah for building the ark. We should be remembered for his altar. He built the altar. The very first thing he did upon leaving the ark was to build an altar unto the Lord. And it was an altar of worship. We're all called to worship. So Noah comes off the ark and he starts gathering rocks and he starts building this altar. And then he takes one of every clean animal and bird to make sacrifices with. And so, number one, he, the worship altar was through thanksgiving. 
Imagine being a year in a boat with all them animals or a ship. Not being able to stand on land. And, and, and if any of you have ever been uh, deep sea fishing, you know, you get up early in the morning, it's dark, you get on the boat and you head out. And then you fish all day and you come back and it's almost dark when you get back and you step off the boat and you really might not realize it then, but when you lay down that night to go to sleep, your bed's rocking like the ocean. It's because you've been on it for so long. You have to get your land legs back. Those that have been in the Navy understand this. I was a ground pounder, so I rocked for a day. Uh, but that's what happened. So he's building an altar, and the altar is for worship through thanksgiving. He's thanking God that he can stand on dry ground. He's thanking God that he was offered salvation and made it through. He also, remember, knew that those on the outside of the ark perished. Those on the outside of the ark perished. And, it, and then the worship that he built on, that he did on the altar was for devotion. He put God first. Before he went about trying to do anything, he come off, started collecting rocks, building an altar. An altar. He put God first. Hit the ground, and the first thing he does is he starts off making something so that it will be pleasing to God. And he builds this altar. Don't know how big it is. It had to be pretty good size because he's going to burn up a bunch of animals and a bunch of birds. And the worship was through service. He did something for God. He built the altar. He did as God called him to do. He warned the people. They rejected it. He entered the altar. He got the animals Onto the ark. God sealed the ark. For over a year, he rode the waves, and then finally it ran aground, and he had to stay on there for a while for the ground to get dry enough so that he wouldn't sink when he got off. And when he comes off the altar, and he, out of the ark, he releases all the animals except one of every clean animal and every clean bird. And some of you will say, well, they went in two by two, how is that going to be? How are they going to... He had seven of each kind. Seven is the number of completion. That is a biblical number, a holy number. And so if he put seven animals on there doing normal old-timey math, one of them had to be either a male or a female that was, didn't have a partner. And so they sacrificed male animals. So it had to be a male. There had to be, there had to be four males and three females. Not, I mean, it doesn't tell us that, but just, you know, common sense reasoning. So you take one. All right. So he did something for God. He got all this together. He got all the supplies in there. He got all the, the provisions that he needed to survive for a year or longer. They grew their own food. They grew their own food on the ark. If you ever get a chance to go to Kentucky, go. Look at the ark. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at the technology that was available to them at that time. It is amazing. They had pots, great big pots, uh, clay pots in there that were on little axes. And they were filled with water. 
And they didn't have a shortage of water because the water outside the ship was clean. The water outside the ship was fresh. But they also caught rainwater. And when they went to water the animals, they pulled a little rope, thing called mechanical advantages with pulleys, pulled a little rope and the little thing tilted and it run down all these troughs to all the cages of the animal. You didn't have to take a bucket and go animal to animal or cage to cage. Same thing with the food. And so he did all of this at the guidance of God. Remember, God gave him the instructions for this ark. God gave him the plans for everything about it. God helped him put the animals in there. And contrary to the pictures that you see in every child's or nursery school class in the most churches today, the giraffes and the elephants did not have their heads poked out of the, out of the boat. They didn't. They took babies. They took babies. Little ones. And they exercised those animals. They would put them on little things in there and they would walk. While they were getting their exercises, one of them was taking the dung and putting it out. The other one, while he was walking, was pumping old air out and fresh air in. It was an amazing thing. Nothing was in there that wasn't for a purpose. And it was an altar of sacrifice. Keeping up with the traditions, it was an altar of sacrifice. Going back to the Garden of Eden. Where do you think the skins come from, from Adam and Eve? Something had to die. Something had to die to cover the sin. There had to be bloodshed to cover the sin. But the altar was of sacrifice. The altar, when he come off, he offered first himself. A self-first consecration. He consecrated his life to God again and he prayed and he built the altar while he was praying giving thanks to God. When we are in trouble when we are struggling do we build us an altar? We have one. It's our heart. Do we go there first? Do we go there when we real or do we only go there when it becomes overwhelming. Do we go there on behalf of our friends and our neighbors? Do we go there on behalf of our country? Who do we go there for? So he consecrated. He went there in consecration at the altar for himself. Second, it says he offered the best he had. Clean animals. It says right here. It says, every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. He took the best. Noah builds this altar and it becomes, and it's, and it's an altar of sacrifice. It's an altar of worship. He took every clean animal and every clean bird. And as the nature of a true sacrifice, this was a costly offering. Think about it. Those, he had nurtured every one of those animals that was on that boat. Him and his family. To be honest with you, some of them he probably named. Because we're that type. 
You know, we want to, if, if something gets close to our hearts, we give it a name. Whether it's named after their attitude or named after their colors or, or their dispositions, whatever, we give it a name. We do that with our children. We give them nicknames. We do. JR, when I call JR, it's just whatever pops in my head. And he laughs and goes on. Tatham, he's got a devout nickname. And he wears it. His, name is, his nickname is Tater. You know, like a wireish Tater. And he's famous. If you don't believe him, ask him. We will practice. At, they practice at Pinecrest High School. The varsity and the junior varsity, when they get through practicing, walk by, hey, Tater, how you doing? Every one of them will call Tater's name. Parents in the stands will call Tater. And Jared says, how come they don't call mine? I said, you ain't as popular as he is. That's the only, you know, he talks to everybody. And so... He probably did this with these animals. And so Noah's first act was in leaving the ark was to worship God through sacrifice. His gratitude and his admiration to God's greatness led him to worship God. Does our admiration lead us to worship God daily? He took every clean animal and every clean bird uh, uh, as the nature of the true sacrifice. It was a very costly sacrifice. Think about this. He was offering it to God. Remember Cain and Abel? What did Cain do? He offered just what he had, the leftovers. And God rejected his offering. Abel gave the best that he had and he accepted. And God told Cain, if you had given me your best, would you not your sacrifice been accepted? Yes. So why are you angry? Next time, bring me your best. Do we give our best to God? I can't answer that for you. Do you give your best to God? And so, with only seven of each animal on the ark, think about this. The common person would say, why would you do that? You would risk the extinction of some of the animals. But costly sacrifice is pleasing to God. It's pleasing. And I'm going to walk us through some, through some examples of some costly uh, uh, sacrifices and what the Bible has to say about it. Charles Spurgeon says that common sense would have said, spare them, for you will want every one of them. But grace said, slay them, for they belong to God. Give Jehovah his due. We don't think about that. We don't think about it. We think about the cost to us. Think about the cost that it cost God to send his son for us to redeem us. Just the old Gentile. Made in the image of God. What did it cost Jesus to hang on the cross to redeem me? I know how vile I can be. And yet, he died for me and made me very aware of it and offered it to me with no strings attached other than the fact that I give my life to him. 
You be the leader of my life. You give me my wants and my desires. The sacrifices we're called to offer to God should also cost us something. We should present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Turn to Romans 12.1. I'm going to read one. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Think about it. That's our true worship. Are we giving God what he desires? Is our body a living sacrifice? It gets more. Oh, there's more. Listen at this. Our sacrifices should come from our resources. When we slight God, whether it's on our tithes or, or whether it's on somebody needing some help, and we have the ability to relieve that person's distress, then we're slighting God when he puts it on our heart. Philippians Chapter 4, verse 18. No, it's, yeah, verse 18. Well, I mean, I had the wrong marker. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from uh, Ephodopolis what you provided, fragrant offering, offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Is our sacrifices or are our sacrifices pleasing to God? Are they? Or are we doing them out of habit? Are we writing our tithe check just out of habit? Are we making our offerings out of the leftovers? Are we doing them as a sacrifice and a worship to God? Because if we're not, we're sliding God. We're called to worship him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole body, our whole soul, and all of our strength. Do we come in here on Sunday and on Wednesday or whenever we come? Are we weak from the day before? Because our boss got our best. Now you have to understand, I'm preaching to me. I'm not trying to be ugly for me. I'm just trying to open up what God's teaching me. I had calls for my best. And he wants my best 24-7. He doesn't want it 12 hours a day. He doesn't want me to punch a clock in and punch a clock out. He wants my best every day, all day. Can I physically do that? According to him, I can. He says, be holy for I am holy. And if I don't, it's just because I don't want to. Think about it. He gives us the ability. We're indwelled with the Holy Spirit to do that. We need to practice it. We don't even practice. Well, I see I got a 15 minutes a day. Let me read my devotion. And then we go that night, we lay down, we, we bless our food, and we lay down, 
I said, well, Lord, I'm going to say my prayers. And while we're praying for him at night, our mind wanders here and wanders there. We can't even capture our own thoughts to be able to offer up an evening devotion to the Savior of the world who saved us, who is our Lord of our lives. And then we wonder why the blessings of God aren't bestowed upon us. He is bestowing blessing on us. Just exactly what we deserve. Just exactly what we deserve. And we should give the sacrifice of praise to God. I don't care. Now this is going to upset my wife. But I don't care. I don't care. God gave me a voice to praise him. We're supposed to praise him with our voices. We're supposed to praise him with our songs. And um, in Hebrews, yeah, in Hebrews 13, 15, therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of the lips that confess his name. All right. I can't sing. It is not my calling. And I'm going to sing praises to the God. And to Jesus, because my lips call him my Savior. And if you don't like the tone of my voice, sit behind me. So you don't have to hear me. I went to a church where I had to sit behind a whole family. That whole family was tone deaf. And if I sat in front of them, it messed me up and I can't sing to start with. But I sang and I would sing loud and Sharon would elbow me in the ribs. Nobody was turning around looking because they had the other family in front of us. <laughs> James knows who I'm talking about. But I'm going to tell you something. The elder of that family, he got to lead worship. And that was the most exciting I'd ever seen a man in my life. And he said, something went wrong. And he said, I've always wanted to do this. And now I get the opportunity. He got to lead us to sing Amazing Grace. And I can assure you, not a soul in here has ever heard Amazing Grace sung at that octave. But you know what? He was praising God and God has blessed that man. And so if you feel like you can't open your mouth to sing, shame on you. Shame on you. And don't let those sitting around you worry about it because they probably can't sing either. But God hears it and it's pretty and it's sweet to him. It is music to his ears because the people that call him Lord are praising him audibly. They're praising him audibly. They, you wouldn't believe what happens when you put your prayers and your requests to atmosphere. Satan can't even touch them. He can't warp your mind. Once they're in the air, they're there. They're headed to him. And anybody else who wants to hear them. Costly sacrifice pleases God. Not because God's greedy or, or wants to get as much from us as he can. But because God himself sacrificed a great cost. His son for us. For the redemption of the world. And we can go back and forth to Ephesians 5.2 again. We can go to Hebrews. Uh, 
in chapter 9, verse 26, and chapter 10, verse 12, God wants costly sacrifice from us because it shows we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. Did Jesus do anything simple while he was on this earth? Did he take anything lightly? No. No, everything that he went through was for a purpose. He went through all that he went through trying to get the heart of Israel to see him as the Messiah. And they rejected him. They rejected him. And now we live not only in the church age, but I think it's also might be, I'm not so sure, the age of the Gentiles. Where the Gentiles are coming to the Lord. Not only are Gentiles coming, but Hebrews are coming too. Who was the, who was, to conform to the image of Jesus, who was the greatest display of costly sacrifice? The greatest display of costly sacrifice. Remember, he freely went. He freely let them scourge him. He freely let them humiliate him. He freely went to the cross and hung on that cross so that a murderer could be set free. So that the status quo could be kept in Israel. We should be like Jesus in this regard, Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. Is our sacrifice a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father? And think about this. Let us start to think like David, King David. In 2 Samuel 24, 24, he said, paraphrasing me, or I'm paraphrasing him, that he would never offer to God that which cost me nothing. What have we offered to God that hasn't cost us something? What have we offered? And so in closing, I'm going to leave you with some application and a question. You ready? Here it comes. What have you given to God since departing the life of old sin? What has your sacrifice looked like since you were saved? What have you given to God? What have you given to God? Has your attitude changed? Has your fruit changed? Are you bearing delicious fruit? Or is your fruit rotten and your tree needs to be pruned? Have you gone through the purification process? where they smelt out all the impurities in the gold and come up with pure gold? 
when we're still laying over there in the ore and the rock. See, God's called us for now, for this time, this time, today. We see evil running amok. We see things going crazy. The world's upside down. Israel's surrounded. Luke tells us when that happens, the beginning of desolation. I'm out telling you, I hope you are ready for the great disappearance. It's going to be a major thing. Can you imagine the news and how they're going to cover that? They're going to say everything they can except for the fact that God took his people out. Because if they admit the fact that God took his people out, they will be proved wrong. And they are wrong. They're wrong today and they'll be wrong then. People are going to disappear in the twinkling of an eye. They're going to be caught up in the air there to meet Jesus and spend eternity with God. Now, the dead in Christ, they shall get there first. That's where the body is reunited with the soul. Where are you going to be on that day of the great disappearance? Where are you going to be? Are you going to be in the air? Are you going to be left behind? Left behind. And there's only one way to make sure that you're going to get caught up in the air. And that's to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Can't make it any simpler than that. You do that, you'll get caught up in the air, you'll spend eternity with God. You reject that and miss that boat. There's an opportunity, very slight, that you could accept him during this time. It'll be hard. But you'll go through Jacob's wrath. And then you'll spend eternity with God. Otherwise, you're going to spend eternity in hell. A place that was designed for angels that had rejected God. It was not a place designed for humans. We are made in the image of God. We were not designed to go there. Yet humans have chosen to go there. God sends no one to hell. No human does God send to hell. They send their self by rejecting Christ's offer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I love you. And I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for Noah's altar. I thank you, Lord, for the comfort that it brings. I thank you, Lord, for the ability that we have to be able to, to have this historical record to look at and the significance of your saving Noah and Noah's response to you. That should be our response to you for saving us. We should worship you. We should build an altar. And our lives should be sacrifices for you, living sacrifices. Lord, I love you. I hope that no one leaves here today without accepting you as their Lord and Savior. I hope that no one here today that has questions would leave without getting those questions filled. If you're here and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, please come and talk to me. Your eternity depends on it. Lord, I love you. 
I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.